So let's um, let's begin by uh, meditating on loving kindness and compassion and uh, wisdom, a non-clean awareness for all beings. And also, if you know someone who is uh, sick or ill or dying, uh, pause and give them some loving kindness. And of course, to uh, Leslie's grandmother, yes, who uh, suffered a stroke, and uh, may she uh, not have a severe one, and may it clear up quickly. Hmm? Hope for the best. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samasambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samasambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samasambuddhasa. The sake of all beings, I will quickly awaken. May all beings be established in wisdom. May all beings be established in compassion. And may all beings be established in non-clinging awareness. Can everybody hear me okay? Is that is that too soft? Too, can, can everybody hear me? Okay. Can you hear me? I would like to, this evening, uh, return to the theme of loving-kindness. I do something funny every once in a while. I look at beings when I start a retreat, and I go, oh yeah, you know, you know all that. and I just kind of assume it, you know, and sort of thing. But then I realize, uh, when I settle in for a day or so, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, not necessarily. So, what happens in our, in, especially in our culture, is we have buzzwords today. You know that, buzzwords? We use words like vipassana and insight and love and loving kindness and wisdom and meditation. I'd like to ban all those words. And the reason is, is they get marketed. They get marketed by um, dharma groups. They get marketed by teachers. They get marketed by students. And the, the actual meaning of the word no longer has any punch, no longer has any oomph to it. And many people, when they use the word, actually don't know what it means. I find this all over the place. They have no, not a clue. They've never studied it, but it's used. Buzzword, insight, I had insight. Well, it might mean psychological insight, but it may not necessarily have anything to do with the insight of of meditation as is taught professionally or described in Buddhist meditation systems, right? Loving kindness is one of the, or, or the word liberation, or awakening, or enlightenment. It's very fuzzy, right? Enlightenment. Yeah, I know. I've heard the word enlightenment, so I know the word enlightenment. But actually, it has very specific technical meaning. I don't know if you know that. Some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, the word in Pali is lokutara. It has a technical meaning with exactitude of what liberation actually is and what it isn't. That's interesting. Um, so does the word suffering. People now use the word suffering. You know, I'm, I, I had a not such a great coffee. Yeah, it's, I'm suffering. Oh yeah, really, really. And throwing the word suffering around without having any idea that actually has, it's a very 
specific technical word called dukkha. Yeah? And now this pervades our culture with all kinds of words where the words for something get turned into something else. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't need to describe it, but I hope you do know how all-pervasive it is. You can take anything today and call it anything else. And if you market it well enough, you now have a whole population believe it within one, two, three, four years. Completely. I hope you know this. This is pervasive in our society. So the use of words as having specific meanings gets very fuzzy. And one of the worst is loving-kindness. I hear the word loving-kindness, loving-kindness, loving-kindness. So when I teach loving-kindness sometimes, or just introduce it, I go, oh, people know what that means. But then I go, uh-oh. Uh, they may have read a book, or they may think they know what it is from another tradition or something, but actually it's it's got technical meaning. And I go, oh, maybe I should actually talk about what I mean and the practice of it. So I thought I'd bring that to you tonight, and now I'm finished. No, that doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> let's go through the etymology. Well, before I before I do that, let's do a few organizational things. Don't don't usually like to do it at the beginning, but. Um, I'm going to come tomorrow morning and give a class at 8.30 in the morning. That means I'd like to see yoga before breakfast. Because I know you're having breakfast before 7. I know that. I've intuited that through some mysterious means. Uh, is that okay? <laughs> this is kind of like the friendly dictator. <laughs> well, let's let's try that. Uh, and tomorrow, uh, I'll give an evening class at at seven. Is seven too early for you? Maybe because by the time you finish supper, is that too early? Is it okay? Okay, good. So eight thirty. That allows me the reason for eight thirty is it's a reasonable time. It fits in with some people's work schedules, but no, the other reason is by the time I finish teaching, it gives me time to see people personally before lunch. So that's the reason. If it goes to 9 o'clock, it gets kind of tight after giving an hour, hour and a half class. Um, I'm going to see whether we do two, hour, two classes a day or one longer class in a day. Sometimes people aren't trained very well to handle longer class. Uh, in the Tibetan tradition, it's quite normal professionally to give three, four, five-hour classes. Most Westerners can't handle more than an hour. It just all goes. It's completely, like, gone. Uh, that takes training. It actually takes training. Um, and you'd be surprised how fast you can handle three, three or four hours. But uh, we'll see. Maybe a little bit, one, one longer class, or we'll, we'll have two, two, two classes. Because actually the material I'm going to cover... Um, is quite extensive. It can be, and I don't want to rush through it. It's beautiful. I want to savor it. What else would I like to talk about? Anything else? Anything else that I, I was going to say that I was going to... That was it? Okay, good. And then at 2 o'clock, 
2 o'clock Qigong, but I hear because of lunch maybe being a bit later, it might need to be 2.30 or something like that. Yeah? Is that right? Too, too little time between lunch and... So maybe lunch could be moved up till about 12-ish, 12.30? Oh, okay. Well, that might be just unusual, yes? Yeah, okay. Okay, that's fine. These things happen. Early days in the retreat. Okay. That's up to you. Whatever you like. So whatever you, whatever you like. Yes? So the time for yoga? Whatever you like. I four o'clock, three o'clock, <laughs> whatever, whatever you like. <laughs> no, as long as you have enough time, uh, you can decide after. Um, you can discuss it, but as long as you have time um, after that to have breakfast, and then it's not so tight before class. So. Before you ask questions, because I, li- I, l- I always enjoy your questions, let me let's go back to the actual. Uh, if we use an English word, like for instance, we, people often use the word emptiness today. But you have to realize that those words are one of many translations for a technical Sanskrit word that has volumes, hundreds and hundreds of volumes of great masters have not only dissected it, but spent their lives meditating on it, debating it, as it's still done today. So it's not some airy-fairy, loose word like emptiness, but actually has extraordinary technical rigor to it, both meditationally, philosophically, and etymologically. So I'm trying to give you some background here. Dharma is anything, Buddha Dharma is anything but fuzzy. All you need to do is go to a Dharma discourse or three or four days with the Dalai Lama. And you will see it's anything but fuzzy. There's no fuzziness in that mind. That mind is like a razor-sharp scalpel of loving-kindness and compassion. But with extraordinary training, not just intellectual training, but extraordinary depth of meditative training and and challenges. Challenge, challenge, challenge. So let's turn to the word loving-kindness. The word loving-kindness in English uh, comes only from one place in the tradition, uh, meditation tradition of Buddha Dharma. One place, the word metta in Pali or Maitri um, in Sanskrit, which is the equivalent. You hear of Maitreya? but it will go to the Pali for the moment. That's where it comes from, is metta. And metta has a whole bunch of meanings, but it is also described by the Buddha and described by the later commentators on what the word actually means. So let's look at the etymology of it. And first of all, we have the root of metta. This this actually helps your meditation. Why? Because... You can get some funny ideas about loving kindness, but if you go back to the actual root of the word, roots of the word, then you can write those down and get a feel and go, this is actually the essence of the practice. 
So first of all, the word mid, M-I-D, and every single word helps clarify what you would want to feel in your body, your speech, and your mind. And the first word that comes up is soften. It's beautiful. Soften. Is soften. It is? Mid. No. Mid. Yeah. Mid. To soften. To soften. To soften. To soften. So it's easy now. If you feel hard-edged, black and white, like a black and white deck, you know, like a chess set, if you feel black and white, things are, they're good and they're bad. Yeah? As someone was telling us not too long ago that why are you going to Guatemala? It's bad. This is violent. It's dangerous. Don't go. It's dangerous. What, what are you going for? War, drug lords, and everything else. It's just black. Black, right? Black and white. Just listen. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or that country is a good country. Oh, I got a good one. In Germany? You want to hear a real good one in Germany? Canadians love nature. <laughs> They're really into nature, Canadians. This is a myth within Germany. Yeah, you say, oh, you talk to a German. They love nature. They're, they embrace nature, yes. Canada has the worst ecological record for any so-called first world country in the world. It, it actively promotes ecological damage and interfering with things like the Kyoto Accord and so on. We're famous for that. But we love nature. <laughs> and you can just imagine all these folks in Canada traipsing around, <laughs> yeah. singing songs, yeah. I love nature. And they're all, you know, dressed in... <laughs> I just, I just because you... <laughs> I couldn't help that. But... but uh, <laughs> do you know we were staying? That the NH Hotel, just in um, the one, um, the first one. No, the, the NH Hotel just near Frankfurt Airport. Oh, Morfelden. Yeah, Morfelden is a, very close to your parents' home. Is that something? Probably five kilometers, three kilometers, maybe. Well, we're, we're, <laughs> well, that hotel, that hotel was about ten kilometers down Highway Five. Yes. I don't know. What something like that. Right. Yeah, so so it's very close. <laughs> Yeah, very close. <laughs> very close. Favorite hotel near the Frankfurt Airport. Getting to, know, getting to know it very well. Back and forth. Back and forth. Okay, so that's one. So if you feel that there is a hardening edge in the body, the speech, and the mind, you know you're losing it. Right? You're moving away from loving kindness. This is these, so beautiful about these words. And you can, of course, it's lovely, you can give a whole discourse just on these words because they come from the feel of it. Okay. Then we have to love. But you see, you have to say, do we mean affectionate love, intimate love, the Western idea of love, or as it was used specifically for the meditation 2,500 years ago and has been used as a meditation form? No. No. It means to love, but we're going to have to find out what, kind, what the word love means in the context of this meditation. You see? And that's dangerous, because when you use the word loving-kindness, you shouldn't. Really shouldn't. The word loving-kindness was a translation from the 19th century and really shouldn't be used. 
the word properly should be kindness, not loving kindness. I'm just saying, classic, it just shouldn't be done. Everybody uses it. Why? It's too hard to go against the grain. Like the improper use of the word sangha. It's improperly used today. Means any any group of Dharma students. No, it's wrong. It's, it's incorrect. But it's being so. I, I fought against this. I, I launched a campaign. I've definitely lost. It's been marketed now, in such a way that that anybody getting together, we're, we're we're a sangha. Even I hear that, see yoga sanghas. Um, next, I'm going to see corporate sanghas. Oh, really, really. I'm I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Rinpoche perfume to come out or Tulku perfume. Really. You know, I'm serious. Or a line of um, ointments. You know, the Tulku line of ointments, or you know, whatever, whatever it is, or llama, uh, llama pillows, or you know, what, what? Yeah, really, I'm serious. Llama coffee, yeah. yeah. A Moho coffee. That's actually uh, one of my uh, teachers' cafes for the monsters called A Moho Cafe. So, so anything goes today. But love, uh, love, is fine as long as you start to discuss or consider what you mean by love, because our cultural view of love may have nothing to do with this meditation. Did you, you see? This is why I'm speaking tonight, because I thought, uh-oh, I introduced a meditation for you to do, but maybe not everybody's actually heard these teachings. It's possible. Don't know. And then we have another root of metta, M-E-T-T-A. We have a root, which is myth, M-I-T-H. Myth. These are all uh, Indo-European roots. Some of these words go back four or five thousand years, by the way. Which, which uh, we as Westerners uh, have roots in that, so they come down to us, like mid and myth. Uh, to unite. To unite. If there's no feeling of being united inside and outside, there's no loving kindness. None. There isn't. It's good, eh? So kind of easy. Uh, what do we mean by united? You know what I mean by united. It's an airline song. It's, just, um, it's, it's a feeling that you actually feel whole. You feel together. Many beings, when you ask them, how do you feel? Well, they have a, they have a head and no body, especially if they're working on the computer or even talking sometimes. They lose their body. They lose a feeling of togetherness in their being. They can feel their hands, but they can't feel their feet. They can feel their arms, but they can't feel their legs. They feel their stomach gurgling, but actually it's not connected to the rest of their being. Or if you say, give a very good example. Here's a good example. A couple of years ago, uh, I did a short workshop in um, Auckland uh, in this big studio. It's lovely. And uh, for a number of hours, doing some energy movement, Feldenkrais-like uh, practices together with this group of people. And every once in a while, when we stop a, a, in a, a natural break, I say to people, uh, how do you feel? Let's stand up or sit. How, how, how do you actually physically, mentally feel? Go around the room, people are, it was lovely, you know, people going, and you could see it, just really good. Ah, you know, this is, this is lovely. And then one person, I looked at them and went, how are you doing? And they looked radiant, absolutely radiant. 
And they, so they looked radiant, and they hadn't said a word at all. So, how are you doing? They said, not very well. So the body and the physiology and the oral feel, if you wish, it just looks great. But out of their mouth comes, I don't feel good at all. Doesn't compute. You know, it just doesn't add up. I said, why? I don't feel comfortable at all. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Well, what is it? My bladder. I gotta go to the toilet. Is that weird or what? I have to. My bladder is uncomfortable. I have to go to the toilet. So, so the entire being, which is radiant, everybody could see it. Some some people are going, what? Just look around. The entire being is radiant, but because they have to go to the toilet and they've been holding it, they can't sense that the rest of the being is really doing very well. And I said, but besides your bladder, how are you doing? Oh, really good. So the first thing that comes out is a negative. But how'd you, how was it? Oh, I'm really feeling good. But my bladder, you, you see, my, my bladder. So this disconnect of unity, right, says here, to you, unite, this disconnect for many, 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 many beings is such a major part of your life that if their arm hurts, then they hurt. If their little finger hurts, then they hurt. You see? So in metta, practice of metta, you really want to practice metta to the point where you feel literally, literally, not imagined, literally, every single cell, trillions of cells, happy. May I be well and happy means the whole organism, not the concept of me. Do you, do you see? The concept of chamomile tea. How do I know it's chamomile tea? Watch, I can tell you. No, I don't do that. The first thing I do is I look at the label. Do you follow what I'm saying? Go to a gallery, and the first thing you do when you see a painting is you don't look at the painting, you, you look at the description first. Instead of taking in the, how you feel about the painting, then it gives you a little description of what it's about. So what are you now looking at? An idea. See how deep this is? Or you look, you're doing yoga, or you're practicing qigong, and you're looking at the other person, how you're supposed to be. Or a room full of meditators. <laughs> oh, I should look like that. Well, I've seen that, you know? Maybe you have too. Room full of meditators, and there's people going. <laughs> people, you know, the novices, the ones that are new are looking. Or, you know, the ramrod straight. I have, a, I have a, a photograph I want to take sometime, which is, you know, you ever see these artistic photographs of like a Zen community mm-hmm. and all the monks are lined up and it's really pretty, it's in a beautiful Zendo and the wood and the, and they're all, all shaven heads and they're all, 
like this. I've always had this thing, and they're all in a robe. All doing that, all identical robes, or or a, a whole um, a whole patio, uh, not patio, like a thousand uh, Burmese monks being ordained at once, and they're all looking exactly the same with the light. You know, this, these very famous photographs. But can you imagine a row of monks? Okay, nuns. Let's be let's be fair. Dressed in Ferrari racing suits. Wouldn't that be great? All you know that red Ferrari racing suit, jacket, full jacket for getting in a, a Ferrari Formula One racing car. All sitting. Wouldn't that be great? Okay. Just a <laughs> it might be comedi- Canadian humor or something weird humor, but it's from being in India. <laughs> it's from being in India. Yeah, yeah. That just takes a short time to. So do you get the idea? So not only internally united, but do you feel comfortable united in the space that you're in or with the beings that you're in? Or are you hard-edged with the being? Are you too soft with the being and it's mush? Mushy? Hello, how are you? This Well, I'll get to that. This affectionate, phony, loving-kindness. Hi! How are you? I'm good, you're good. No, you're not. You're just lying. Right? But this kind of overdone, overblown affection or I'm practicing loving kindness, are you? <laughs> I've seen that. Certain countries over in Europe. <laughs> oh, just in one recently. Uh, where the statement comes out of the word loving kindness, but you cringe. It's like, <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Or the word insight, you go, oh, insight without loving kindness. Can you imagine insight without lo- the word? The word comes out, I'm practicing insight. And you go, <clears throat> I don't want to be in the same room. I'm serious. Serious. It's got a hard edgy feel about it that has nothing to do with insight. Here's another word. Pair. To pair pair up. To pair up. Are you pairing with the beings or are you separated from the being? Do you consider yourself a couplet? A pairing? Or practicing loving kindness but a gulf? A separation. I am practicing loving kindness. <laughs> the voice of Mr. Smith. I am practicing loving kindness with humans. You know, from the Matrix? Mr. Smith from Matrix? Just wait, I have to get the Mr. Smith voice up. I like human beings, but they're viruses. Okay. <laughs> Pair, a uh, couple, a couple. These are words, a couple. Do you or or is it um, uncoupled? Not talking about a relationship couple, but when you're with somebody or with an animal or a, a flower or a painting or walking, are you coupled or discoupled? De- decoupled. That's that's a proper English word, right? Decoupled. A lot of people will tell you, if you talk to them, I feel decoupled. I don't feel I'm walking on the ground. How many people, when they pick up a cup, actually feel the cup? Very few. 
Many people don't feel it touching their lips or liquid going down. They're having a concept of drinking the cup while they're talking and on a cell phone. That's normal now, right? That's a new posture. That's that's decoupled, yeah? decoupled. You've seen this. Have you not seen this at a restaurant? Four people, five people sitting down in a restaurant, having a Thai, you know, or Chinese or whatever, or Italian, and everyone's great. Oh, it makes for wonderful uh, conversation. Okay, decoupled. Don't be decoupled. Here's another one for myth: meet as a friend. Meet as a friend. Are you genuinely friendly or are you pulling a number? That's the most important thing. And this is where your radar needs to go up. Remember I talked about the bowl of poison? Think of it as a bowl of views. Views. A bowl instead of just poison, think of a bowl as a bowl of views that are views that you have used so much, the cu- not even you, the culture is used so much, that when you now meet a being and are interacting with a human, a non-human, right, whatever it is, the view in the cup is actually what's being seen and not the other being. Yeah, make sense? Yeah, that's where you're actually splashing from, drinking from. Not the other being, but the view. We were in a, a cafe the other day, and uh, a couple walked in and walked out. They came in, they looked around, walked out. They came back in, and the owner of the cafe said, I, "It's you should go down to the cafe quite nicely, go there. And as soon as they walked by, I said, Israelis. Like that, right? Israelis. Just, you see? So how is he actually experiencing them? How do they feel? What are they being met with? They're being met with a view in a bowl, not by actual the being. You follow? Who they are. Can't, are you able to couple or pair or unite with a being freshly as they are at that moment? At, at that moment. Not by what they were a year ago or two years ago. You see? Or what you know about their culture, what you think you know. Do you follow? Oh my God, they're from the west coast of Africa. I met, I met a, a person who rode off the entire west coast of Africa because they got mugged. All of West Africa is bad to this being. Why? They got mugged. Do you see? So is it possible to meet a being or situation or work of art as, a, as genuine friendliness or is there an invisible view spread across the canvas and you can't even see it? And if someone points it out, what happens? Pride comes up, defensiveness comes up, and anger comes up because the view is the ego. Did you follow? 
It's how deep it is. It's why you practice loving kindness. Loving kindness is not just, hi, I'm happy. Loving kindness is profound. That's why it's called the basis of all meditation. You cannot, simply cannot, practice uh, or enter into insight meditation or Vipassana Mahamudra, Zogchen, without a basis of loving kindness. Forget it. Channels are so blocked up, you'll practice and say, I'm doing insight meditation. Or I did an insight retreat. So what? That's different than actually dwelling in the practice. Very different. Here's some beautiful words to... I can't read the writing. Uh, Alternate. Isn't that cool? To alternate. Go back and forth. Are you going back and forth in the discourse? Are you, for instance, when you're talking to someone, are you reading the body language? Have you ever met people like that? Mm-hmm. They're ta- you're talking. There's no actual reading of the body language at all. You may as well not be there in the conversation whatsoever. We, we do that for fun sometimes. Just for fun sometimes. Someone's talking to them. Just go. Uh, just, I just interject something like. Yeah, you're rotten too. And they go, <laughs> or um, do you see the plane fly by? They're not. You're not there. So alternate. Are you alternating and participating in a coupling, or are you divorced from the beings? Divorced in the space you're in. Yeah, no resonance. To engage. Lovely, eh? To engage. Are you engaging? Or is it a one-sided uh, engagement? I, I get this vision of a sword, of a, someone um, fencing with a sword. There's no one there. <laughs> right? There's no, no one to ga- engage with. <laughs> it's an imaginary being. So here's something for you to consider, because we're going to be talking about the nature of illusion. Should I, I scare the wits out of you? Shall I, shall I really scare you? When you're talking to someone, you're not talking to anybody there. You're talking to your own mind. What are you engaging with? Now, when I really scare people, here's a good one, when I, when I really want to scare people. I like this. I usually build up to this, you know, after a while. If you're making love, are you making love to anybody? Or are you making love to an imaginary figment in your mind? Which one? <laughs> so are you engaged with the being or are you, again, with the cup? Is there an imaginary being in front of you, self-created an image that you're engaged with what actually isn't a fresh image at all, it's out of memory. And when we start to study illusion and reality and the experience of a, of a human being, we're going to see, I hope you see, we don't see what's there. We see out of memory. As soon as the freshness is gone after a second or two of, of newness, all built up out of memory, all filled in. And we can prove that through very simple experiments, which you're going to do. And you go, oh, how much right now of your visual experience 
is actually there or filled in by the nervous system. A good percentage of it. Even considering about that much, that's all I'm seeing of you, of this, of this world right now, is that. Do you know that? That's all. All the, and that's color. And that's it. That's it. All the rest is filled in as black and white. But the color's put in. Isn't that cool? Isn't that as fast? It's so fast, it's very hard to catch the discrepancy. Like in the Matrix, you know? You know the movie? Matrix is wonderful. Maybe we'll play it. Maybe we'll, if we can get a copy. I don't know. I'll play the Matrix for, for all of you. Just refresh you. That You know when you, in the movie, where there's little discrepancies in the screen or the something, cat. the cat that walks by, you go, uh-oh. We do that in insight meditation. When we start to pick up the discrepancy, go, uh-oh. That's not quite the way I thought it was. We'll get into that. Okay. So, what do you what do you engage with? A fantasy? Uh, engaging and talking to yourself the entire time? Have you had people do that with you? you talk? They're, they're engaged in a conversation, and you know they're actually talking to themselves the entire time. They're not even there. Whoa! How about in class? How many people in a class, a Dharma discourse, are actually fantasizing, going in and out of fantasy, and they don't hear? 50, 60, 70%, 80% of the entire class because they're actually gone in fantasy. Isn't that extraordinary? Wow. Where are they? So are they actually engaged? No. And I love this other meaning for, for uh, myth. Dashed together. Isn't that cool? Loving kindness means dashed together. Dashed. Like in a, a, a wave dashing against uh, the shore. And when I when I say the word dash for 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 this being, what comes up is: Are you in contact, or is it distant? Are you actually engaging, or is it standoff? It's okay as long as I'm safe. As long as it's all safe. Is it? The other, I actually don't have this one, but there's another one which, oh yeah, here it is, for meta. I'll come to that. But dash together is related to the, the root, one of the meanings of meta, M-E-T-T-A, which means well mixed and solvent. That's beautiful, eh? In other words, how well is the experience of unity truly mixed? Or is it walled off and separated? And the other word that comes up from the ancient um, Sanskrit and Pali, this is 2,500 years ago, is the word solvent. Okay? So, for instance, you put in a honey, sweet. I love you. I... So affectionate towards you, I love being with you, I enjoy company, but it's like sweet honey that when you drop it into water, doesn't mix. Ever seen that? Goes in and sits on the bottom like a puddle. But it's sweet. It's all sweet, but there's no mixing. It takes heat to mix it up. You see? So, 
uh, are you a solvent? Do you allow uh, beings, ideas, uh, things, places, entities into your being, into your physical being, into your nervous system? Or is it highly walled off? And that's a very good, uh, I would say, psychoanalytic description of neuroses, and maybe even a scale of neuroses, is the degree to which no mixing happens. But you can have conceptual mixing, but not real mixing. Mm-hmm. Conceptual mixing, like uh, artificial mixing? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I love traveling. But I like, when I travel, I take photographs. You know, number of she's talking about the snap at Harry types. You know, they, they, they arrive in a jeep and they get to the get to the Great Pyramid in Egypt, right? And they jump out of the pyramid, they jump out of the jeep, or in the jeep, and they go, look at this. And they're looking at the pictures, and they never, oh yeah, oh, this happens all over the world. Billions, I suspect, no, I don't think it's any exaggeration, billions of photographs per year, digital photographs per year, where there's actually no contact with the object. It's simply a photograph taken out of a bus, a taxi, a car, stepping out. Oh, look at the giraffe. And they've got it. Of course, there was the scene that I saw personally where where you've got a number of vehicles around um, some uh, lions and their cubs. And, and their cubs. This is in, um, in Zimbabwe. And the guides always tell you, you know, you stay in the vehicle, you don't get out of the vehicle. They get just close enough not to threaten too much. Uh, the female. And here, lo and behold, a person climbs out of their Jeep with a camera and starts walking towards the lioness to get a close-up photograph. And we're going... And the guide's going, trying not to make the lioness excited, which is... This wasn't our Jeep. Get back in the Jeep. Get back. And they have rifles, of course. But get back in the Jeep. This person said, no, 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 let me get closer. Like like they're in a, a zoo or... Yeah. So solvent, I like that word. Partly my the chemical background, but how well do things mix inside you? How well do you mix with others. Not just people. Yeah? Creatures. Creatures, creatures, creatures. How do you mix in the universe? I mix very well human beings, but not with other creatures. I like my birdies, but I don't like other creatures. I don't handle people very well. Do you, do you understand? I'm, I know people like that. I like my birdies. I like my dog or my cat, but people... Please, that's a bit too complicated, you know, a bit too uncomfortable. Okay. Also, one of the errors of loving-kindness practice or meta-practice is all about humans and all about you. If you fall into that, know that you've gone astray. Maybe for a beginning, but when you've gone astray is it's about you being in a state of loving-kindness. Or it's all about humans, but you've forgotten that 99.99999% of the entire planet is not human. 
and 95 to 97, 98% of you is non-human. Did you hear that? 95 to 98% of you as an organism is not human. There are other cells, there are other creatures. Who are you engaging with? My tummy hurts. No, 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 no. The tummy is uh, about um, five trillion cells of other creatures with a lining of humans, uh, human cells. Okay? Whose tummy are we talking about? Your tummy? No, no, no not your tummy. These are other creatures of which there is at least 800 different species and genera of protozoa, bacteria, and so on, living in an ecosystem, your belly? Not your belly. It's their ecosystem. Something, eh? Whose world? Human world? How many people is estimated now? Somewhere close to getting to between 6 and 7 billion, yes? In a spoonful of soil, there's at least 1 billion creatures. 1 billion, at least, of which we don't know most of what they are. Whose world? Whose world? So if loving kindness doesn't move and spread and mix beyond you, know you've gone deeply astray in the practice of loving kindness, which really should be called metta, mixing, friendliness, unity. It's profound meditation. I hope I'm going to maybe blow your mind off of what is called loving kindness. I'm doing loving kindness practice. Loving kindness practice, when opened up, becomes uh, everything that needs to be done. It's called the meditation on emptiness and compassion. Mitra in Sanskrit. Metta equals mitra in Sanskrit. Friend, companion, associate. To act in a friendly manner. That is the classic meaning as used in the meditation texts. Not lovey-dovey, not sweetie pie, uh, not overly affectionate, but the ability to be a true friend, to be a true associate, to be mixing with another being without games. This is really what it means. To be there for them. I I actually like the word nurture. To me, uh, metta means to nurture other beings, but not necessarily to root out the underlying cause of suffering. But you're nurturing. You're there as a support to mix with another being, to give them support, like a good friend. But sometimes your best friend is not very good at rooting out where your problems are. For that, you need a mentor. For that, you need 
someone that's not your necessarily your best friend because you may not be able to listen to your best friend, or, or your best friend knows that if they tell you the honest truth, you've lost them as a best. So you know there's there's clinging. Yes, you need someone who's dispassionate enough, but loves you enough to give you the honest truth, but nurture you in a way that it lands. It's an art. That's a friend. That's what they mean by friend. In a friendly manner. A companion of nurturing. Sometimes our friends are not the best nurturers, oddly enough. Sometimes they're not. There's too much at risk. Interesting. Traditionally, in the texts that teach uh, metta meditation, they're very careful to lay out what what metta is not. It is not affectionate love. It means you've gone astray. They're not saying affectionate love is bad. They're just saying it's not metta. I don't think it's bad. Because you can have affectionate love and metta too. But often affectionate love is is a wanting something or something's going down that isn't actually a very, very clean, nurturing support of the other being. But it could be. It could be. Okay? That includes intimate or sexual love, which is considered to be a deviance from the actual practice and development of metta, which is for what? All beings. All beings. Now, here's where I disagree. I'll, I'll put in my own personal disagreement with some of the texts. They're not wrong, but in a tantric form, I don't just mean sexual, in a Vajrayana, uh, highest yoga, tant- tantric form, the experience of intimacy and sexuality, if you use it correctly and have the right instructions and the right view, can open you up to profound metta because the physical sensation of your being being nurtured and warm and um, uh, connected and mixed in the universe can then be used and utilized for the experience of all beings. Do you see? Where the, that's why they're saying in text, I point to this list, it means nothing. Uh, why they're saying it's wrong, because usually, or very often in intimate love, it's between two partners. But it doesn't extend. It might expand, extend a little bit to the family, but it doesn't extend in the same embracing, I don't mean sexual, or effect, same embracing feeling to every single creature on this planet, or, or even further. Did you fall? So you have to really understand what meta is about. Then we have to watch very carefully for affective. I, I started with that. Affective love. So do you know the word, uh, what it means by affect, uh, affective? It means it's mixed with emotional content that is not appropriate to the given situation. This you should put on your radar and not only watch for you, your being, but other beings and go, is this an affected emotionally tainted loving kindness or metta 
that has nothing, is not even appropriate to the given situation. It's not nurturing. It's some cultural manifestation that actually has nothing to do at all with the, except for the comfort and need for affection of the being that's delivering it. Do you get what I'm talking about? Why are they doing this? Why aren't they picking up the message? Why this kind of interaction? Why? They feel insecure in the world. Therefore, they have to overblow the affection, overblow the intimacy. Hmm? Or underblown, under, 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 way too cold. I love you. Like a dead fish. I love you. That's why I'm not even watching Farsight or the or or, or, or. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) it's like I've been watching comedy all afternoon. Not even watching episodes of Seinfeld. That's strange. Okay, another word is majati. M-E-J-J-A-T-I, which is often given as a close root for metta. Majati, M-E-J-J-A-T-I. Well, I love this one. This is this is a beauty. To fatten. To be fat. Fat. Now, I'll tell you why. In the East, if you're thin, they're suspicious. Now, if you're a yogi, if you're a yogi and you're doing retreat work, no problem. That's true. Because, you know, uh, some of us lose weight rapidly. That's that's normal. Because you, you might be down to your last bowl of sampa for a week or uh, and fermented butter. Uh, or, <laughs> or hard, really hard cheese. But no, in the West you might be down, you know, you, it, because actually in, in deep retreat, you, eat, you, you generally eat less and less and less and your, your weight goes down. But if you're uh, in a normal, so-called normal life situation and you're very, very thin, in the Eastern view, there's something wrong. Why? There's a lack of feeding yourself or being fed. Hmm? You should be a little bit Rotund. Now this is this is cultural too, but the point they're making is how fat are you in terms of concepts, ideas, richness? Can you feed yourself? Many beings cannot feed themselves. They're not anorexic, but they're anorexic emotionally. That means they cannot feed themselves with newness, with new foods with new places, new people, new things, new ideas. Do you see? It's... That means it doesn't feel comfortable. Uh, Another word is expansion. How expanded are you? When you go into a social situation, do you tighten up and... uh, Wallflower, yes? In the corner. Or are you all over the place? Hello, everybody! You know that um, thespian voice of the Shakespearean actor? Hello, everybody! Welcome! (laughs) Hello, Laurel! How are you today?
Just fine. Actually, yeah. Doing okay. Yes, that's wonderful. Come on over here, have a cup of tea. No, I, I knew two, uh, two thespian actors trained in Shakespearean. And every conversation, didn't matter if just going over for a cup of tea, was, Hello! How are you? They, they've been training in Shakespearean in England for so long. These are these are early students of Namjoon Rinpoche. So long in theater that there was no separation between the theater and any normal... It was like, Hello, Mark! How are you today? Come on in! Celebrate with us! So incredibly expansive. Like, you just... Whoa! And then, of course, the opposite, which is... Hi! Hello! How are you? So, to be fat... And rich, how rich are you? Now, we don't mean money-wise. It could be. But um, do you expand through richness or is your life dry? You know? I like my Starbucks. Or the only tea I like is uh, Assam. Or I am a biologist. Well, let's talk about astronomy. Oh, yeah, astronomy, I don't I like abstract painting. That's my thing. Do you see? It's my, I'm getting thespian, right? It's my thing, abstract painting. But no, no richness outside that boundary. You see? I, I, meet, I meet people that go, well, I don't, I don't study history. Okay. I don't listen to the news. I don't listen to the news. Okay. I don't go to those countries. Okay. I don't do those kinds of expensive trips. I don't stay, I don't ever stay in a five-star hotel. It was only $50. They still wouldn't stay. It's the principle. Until, of course, they experience what it's like to stay in the five <laughs> All changes, usually one night. Especially when you've been in a certain place for a while. And that just, that just changes it all completely. Okay, and of course, the, the Yadam uh, in the uh, Tibetan or the Indian um, Vajrayana tradition is Zambala, which which shows that fatness, that that the laughing Buddha, the Chinese laughing Buddha, is that being full, not necessarily being fat, but being fattened with uh, jewels, riches, ideas, concepts, being able to actually engage in the world, and of course with Zambala as a meditational deity, uh, in the left hand coming out from the belly is a mongoose vomiting jewels. That's the symbol. That's that's the, the fatness. So the belly is rotund. Why? A, 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 a rotund, a warm belly is a happy being. A frozen belly, right? When the belly hurts, it's not a nice, not a happy being. As soon as the belly doesn't feel well, well, watch out. Just watch out. That's why if a person comes to your door socially, Always offer them food or a good, a coffee, a tea, something. Why? We have this built in. Be suspicious of people that don't. 
because opening up the mouth, something delightful to go in the mouth, is to calm, relax, and satisfy the belly, which has the deepest gut feeling of how you feel about the world, not your brain. How your guts feel is how you're going to actually feel deeply, 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 deeply about life. So first thing you want to do for the guest or your friends or anybody is you offer a liquid refreshment or a beautiful food to do what? To relax the gastrointestinal system. It's very ancient. It's very deep. Yeah? Be suspicious of friends. Be suspicious of beings that do not give you drink, good drink or good food when you come to the door. There's something amiss. You're missing something about social interaction. That's my view. Okay. Solvent to mix well. Uh, Mitta, M-I-T-T-A, means friend. So you'll see over and over again in most commentaries, friend, friend, true, true friend, true friend. This is in Pali, M-I-T-T-A, Mitta. Now, metta as a practice of meditation, as classically taught, is still conjoined with attachment of some type. Because it's a Brahma-vihara, which means an abode of the gods, even though it's relatively pretty free, it still will be tinged with some degree of attachment of subject-object clinging. At the high level, no. But that's not particularly always classic Buddha Dharma. As taught by Namjoon Rinpoche, yes. Uh, for instance, some of you, you may have the um, book or the tapes of Suchness by Namjoon Rinpoche, maybe. But in that teaching, I, I don't, but I, I was there for it, so I remember very clearly. Uh, actually, I sent a copy. But the in that teaching that he gave on Suchness, on totality, uh, it's amazing how many times he would return to the teaching of loving-kindness all through it. Teaching loving-kindness in a teaching of totality over and over and over and over again because in many ways Namjoon considered uh, loving-kindness not just as a Brahma-vihara, as a practice to be in a godlike state of practice, but as a true state in a Christian sense of deliverance. In a, in a Christian sense, of, of great deliverance, of great liberation. So, that's how I often use it. So if, there, if the loving kindness or the metta is tinged with a lot of attachment, which you may not know, your friend needs to tell you, you know, you're, it's overblown, it's nothing to do with metta here, you're in a strange state, or tinged, then it's not metta. But you could be practicing metta, which is good. But you have to have your radar open for yourself and go, does it really feel pure? So, so when we talk about Brahma-vihara, it's not just the abodes of the gods. The word Brahma is being used as purity abode, a very pure abode of the mind, the speech, the body, resting in a state where it's nurturing, it's supporting 
but without the overblown affection, affectionate quality that's not needed in that state. But maybe for your partner, maybe for your children, yes, may be completely appropriate for certain individuals at certain times is an affection that that being needs. Correct? But not necessarily will it be a pure form of loving kindness. So if the loving kindness, let's use the word metta, if, see how much it's used, eh? I even I, I fall into that, but if the metta is not clean, interesting, that means if the being is not truly interested in the other, with, with genuine interest, if it's tainted, if it's a constructed, if it feels artificial, there's something wonky about it, then it means you've gone astray. It doesn't mean you're not practicing, it just means come back and reflect on what metta really is. Metta is a universal uh, openness for the support and welfare, the healthful joyousness, uh, happiness of all beings, no matter what kind of being it is. Traditionally, in many Buddhist circles, traditionally, metta is really restricted to the animals as sentient. Uh, so I'll teach you what it is classically, which is it's restricted to animals and creatures called sentient that, that think or can feel. But as a uh, practicing biologist, that's, I give it to you classically, but as a practicing biologist, I ha- I, I'm just putting in my, my view, also now the view of the 17th Karpa, um, as I've heard directly, uh, not from him, but from someone who was recently at a talk he gave. Uh, uh-uh. It's not, it's not correct. All life forms are intelligent. Bacteria are social. They're highly intelligent, and we'd be dead without them, like that. If they weren't intelligent, and if they weren't up to all kinds of interesting things, uh, human beings uh, would be dead with a snap of the finger. We are bacteria. If you want to know really who you are, ever wonder who you are? Just go, just say the word bacteria. And if you really want to go even deeper, just say the word virus. 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 Viruses are the largest number of of living. Some biologists say non-living. It's switching over to living now. It used to be non-living for the last hundred years. Now, actually, ninety years. Now it's switching over to living, kind of, in biology. Uh, They are the largest known entities of living, semi-living creatures known on the planet by far, by far, by far, by far. Next come uh, bacteria and archaea bacteria, by far. So if you ever want to know, if you want to go up and say, uh, hello there, uh, Jamie. You just say hello, bacteria. <laughs> hello, uh, hello, virus. So, so that that episode, that that scene in the Matrix, where Mr. Smith is going, 
their viruses. He's absolutely correct. Except where it comes to we will eradicate because he's a he's a robot. He's a projection of the matrix. Uh, you know that voice? Ever seen that, Mr. Smith? When he goes, yeah. There are viruses. With especially his sunglasses, very, you know. <laughs> there are viruses. So uh, he's actually correct. By by numbers, in terms of viruses and bacteria, that's that's really what the human being is. And some protozoa. And some nematode words. I had a uh, my thesis advisor, um, uh, Charles Laughlin at, at uh, Carleton University, would often say in lectures, you know, if we just just for fun, if we took away all the skin and we took away the body, you'd have a visual entity of nematode worms called a human. You you would just see a body of nematode worms. Uh, standing there. I don't do this just for fun. I mean, it's fun to watch your reaction, but I'm actually <laughs> introducing you. I'm, I'm actually introducing you to a modern worldview, which is simply not caught up to what is taught in schools or even in universities. And many medical uh, professionals I talk to don't even uh, have not caught up to the last 10, 15 years of modern medical um, biological research, which is now mainstream. You know, some people say, if you, you talk about the interconnectivity of all life on the planet, they think it's a Buddhist thing. No, it's mainstream. It's mainstream science. It's so funny to hear that. They go, oh yeah, well, you know, it's, it's airy-fairy New Age stuff. No, no, actually, it's absolutely mainstream science. There is no separation at all. Every single creature on this planet, of which most of we cannot see, by 99%, we cannot actually visually see, are totally, utterly connected and communicating with all other creatures at any given time. That's for real. That's not imaginary. That's mainstream. There's, that's, that's accepted. So... To limit loving-kindness, to limit meta-meditation to yourself or human beings, listen to this very carefully, is to miss 99.999% of all life on this planet. And the human being, even though it feels extremely important in determining the outcome of life, may have very, very little to do with the direction of life on this planet. Believe me. How you feel right now has very little to do necessarily with your mental states and who you are. It's mostly your guts speaking. Very much. When you have a beautiful belly, you feel good, life is perfect. When it's a little bit like this, life has a way of being black and white. So watch the speech. Uh, Metta is not all about mental state. It's also about speech. Your interaction with beings, do you need to say it? What are you saying it for? Why that speech? 
why do those words come out and not those words? But then if you overanalyze yourself, you're just going to get do a Western thing, which is, where's the knife? <laughs> Let the blood flow. But better to see it as a um, study. What is it, what actually is the natural mode of the human being resting in a state of metta? What's the natural metta? This is, this is where I, I sometimes have a little bit of a query about how it's taught because it's practiced. I much prefer to go to a Mahamudra Zogchen perspective as I teach it of loving kindness, which is what's the natural mode? Can you find and feel the natural mode of loving kindness in spontaneous play of the mind that, it, that doesn't require you to pre-think it? Do you see? Then you really know it's on. Why? You're not playing games. You don't need to think about, shall I be loving or not? <laughs> you just act out of sponta- spontaneity. But to do that, you're going to have to have confidence in your mental states. right? Purification of the mental states so that the actions are actually clean, open, supportive, and compassionate. That's why we train. <coughs> So, for instance, if you are leading a group, whether it's Qigong or Tai Chi or yoga or a group meditation or something like this, you must ask yourself, or any kind of social interaction, to what extent are you nurturing, to what extent are you interfering, to what, why are you doing it? Right? Even teachers, I call it the disease of Dharma teachers. Why are you teaching? I really don't want people teaching Dharma until they don't want to teach Dharma. Running, they're running away as fast as they can from the responsibility of teaching Dharma. That's a good sign. No way. No way. Not on your life do I want to actually teach Dharma, engage with people's karma, right, at that level. Why? It's a, it's a big responsibility. That's healthy. That's good. But then you have people, I want to be a Dharma teacher. I want to be a Lama. And then there's the ones, that, the closet ones, I want to be a Rinpoche or a, you know, a Chan. I want to you know, have students, as many students as possible. How many students do you have? Oh, many. This is very thespian again, yes? Again, very thespian. But no, really, it's there. It's a disease, disease of teachers. Many students, many monasteries. Now, I'm not just speaking for myself here. There are Tibetan lamas that rail against this. They rail against this, the, the, the industry of teaching. As may, more retreat centers, more monasteries filled with monks. There's, you know, uh, for instance, there's a monk right now. Is he a monk? I'm not sure he is. No, not a monk. Uh, but a very, very high reincarnate lama who is young, who just told the monks in his monastery, go get lost, get out, get out. Go leave. You're not interested in Dharma. Get out. Go get a job. We'll help you. Get, get out. Get out. You're not interested in Dharma. Get out. If you're just a professional careerist, get out. Get out. Just want the people who are interested. Whoa! Do you think that's upset a whole bunch of people? Oh, yeah. He's young. He's questioning everything. Going, what are they doing here? What are we doing? Even recently canceled a Wonkor. He's going to give a Wonkor? Canceled. He says, what, what do you want to want? What do you, what do you need it for? Interesting. It's good. 
I like this. Not because he's necessarily doing right or wrong, but he's in a state of profound question. And how it's going to shake out, I'm, I'm pleased. It's good. It's good. 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 So, question what you're doing. Are you actually doing it? Is the body, the speech, and the mind activity for the other? Or is it for you? Profound. These are, this is an easy way of practicing metta and entering into compassion is, am I genuinely doing this out of the generosity of the support and care and nurturing of other beings? Or is it because I get off on it? I get something out of it. Do you see? It must be the other way. Yes, you enjoy it, but it's because it's genuinely for the support, the nurturing and development of others. And we, so there's an ancient tradition in Dharma which says this. This is how I was trained. If you're not requested to teach, you shut up and you practice and you study. If you're not, if, and if the request is not a good request, you say no, politely. If it's not a good request, it's not well supported, no, no Dharma. This is how I was drummed into me by Nam Jorampaja's classic Terawadin, uh, old-style tradition, which is don't teach unless there's a good request and the beings really want to study Dharma. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not allowed to, actually. There's all kinds of things I'm technically not allowed to do. And one is not to teach Dharma to those beings who are incapable of receiving it. In the same way, to give beings love who actually can't take it or receive it. That's, that's high-level stuff. High-level stuff. Be careful. You may find that uh, powerful loving-kindness can actually, to beings in states of terrible hate, if it's not done right, can actually wash back. Now, with that said, I want to speak about, because this will be, I, I'm going to move uh, next class to bodhicitta, the enlightenment mind. Very important. And then to illusion. I want to talk about the enlightenment mind and the nature of emptiness. So, tomorrow morning. Or something, tomorrow morning. The view. Tomorrow morning, again, back to the view. But tonight I want to also speak about loving kindness and why loving kindness and why it's so powerful. In the oldest meditation texts, the oldest Buddhist meditation texts, the Vimuti Magga, the Sudhi Magga, it is clearly written that metta, metta is the antidote to anger and frustration. Okay? It's the number one antidote. A being who's an angry being, traditionally they get metta meditation. Not breathing meditation, not breath meditation, not corpse meditations, loving kindness. Go away, practice until that anger is broken, dissipated, not, not completely dissolved. That you, that, for that you need vipassana. But b- the, the back is broken. The, so- the being is softened. Angry beings are actually pretty good Dharma students. They can, they can be pretty good. Fighting, defensive, brittle, 
angry, tough, poisonous, vicious, all those kinds of things. Yes? Because all that energy, when turned, makes for a very, very loving being. But one of the things about that's pointed out in the text, which is wonderful, and is not actually um, talked about very often, is that when a being is angry, they don't have patience. Yeah. So, so a brittle being, a fearful being, a defended being, which is which is an angry being. Uh, uh, anger comes out of fear. When you don't have fear, there's no anger. It's not there. It's just simply not there. There's no hatred. There might be lots of energy. Why are you doing that? But with love. So there's a direct relationship between the amount of anger and patience. Now we're not talking about neurotic patience. That's different. You remember you know have you met neurotic beings that are can actually finish things, but it's twisted. Right? Lots of driven people that can finish things, but it's an ugly scene. It's not gentle. It's not it's 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 a weird number. Right? But they finish things, but it's everybody's kind of destroyed in the process, you know, put through in the process. But the patience we're talking about is the ability to nurture your way or other beings through a project or a discipline or a voyage to the end. Do you see? To get to the end of the study, to make it through to what you set out to do, whether it's a little project or a big project a small study or a big study, do you have the patience to keep yourself moving along until it ripens? Fat? Fat. Until you become fat with it. I, I always, When I say that word, I, I see uh, nerve cells with nice fat myelin sheaths so that, that the uh, transmission of information can actually flow well, or is it lacking fat? So patience and metta meditation are taught together. As and if you don't have the patience, the walking the path, or treading the path, or running on the path, or sitting on the path of liberation, simply won't unfold. It will not happen, because. Most of the things that you do just fall apart. Those keys. You start out to do something, and it busts up. It doesn't make it. The energy goes out. Why? Because there's underlying frustration, anger, to go the journey. Or the frustration, anger destroys the journey. Destroys the product. As they say in American marketing, I used to have. I was once in a. Uh, I was part of a team until I quit with some American marketers in the Arctic because I uh, I was working on a project and anyways we the, the team that won was from the United States and product artists as products we're get more product out going to turn out more product we're talking about caribou product caribou meat meat animals product forget that it's like thespian product product it's like talking about musicians, they're products, you know, products, products. 
they counted artwork and craft as product. So what, what happens is, with the frustrated, the angry being, things become products. They become entities that need to be manipulated. Or the goal is the most important thing, but not the journey. Okay? So do you enjoy the journey? And in meditation retreat, are you enjoying the journey, or is it all about, today I'm going to become enlightened, today I'm going to get it? That's a very hard place to be. I'm going to get it today. Or maybe in my next meditation, I've heard this. I've heard this by very experienced people. I think I'm going to get it in the next retreat. So they're waiting for the retreat, not now. They're waiting for the retreat. This shows uh, a problem. <laughs> the radar <laughs> goes up. Beep, 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 beep. You know that in the back of the consciousness, they're waiting for it to happen instead of crafting it as a good craftsman would craft turning a bowl and going, I'm not going to rush this. I'm going to go through the natural process by unfolding it, you know, or like rushing a garden. You put a garden in, but you rush it with hard fertilizer, you know, or you, you too much water, or you look at it too much. You know, you stare at the at the <laughs> you stare at the vegetables and they die, <laughs> they wither. When are you going to grow? Now, now, maybe some more nutrients, more water, more sun. You see. Same thing with human beings, eh? You can water them to death. You can give them too much nutrient. You can over-nurture them. How are you, you know? How's the arm? Is your, your arm okay? Uh, yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. Too, too much um, nurturing, too overblown nurturing, maybe too under-nurturing, not enough care, not enough observation of the individual. How are they doing? How are they feeling? It hurts. Good. Hurt some more. That's that could be good nurturing. Are you hurting? Yes. Well, oh, hurt some more. That was Namjur, one of Namjur Rinpoche's methods, right, of liberation. Well, if you're suffering, maybe you're not suffering enough to actually come out of it. So we'll have to help you. <laughs> I actually eventually appreciated that. I mean, eventually I understood what he was getting at, which is, you still don't get it, do you? Because you're abusing yourself, but you don't know, you think the world's abusing you, but actually you're abusing yourself. So until you learn that your your mental states and your conditioning is abusing you, well, we need to up the ante, don't we? Come on a trip. <laughs> Let's go on a little voyage. Come on in the car. Come over from you. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. That's out of compassion. Fantastic compassion. Why? Liberation. Liberation. Not not just nurturing. Liberation. Not just love. Liberation. Compassion is liberation. 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 At all costs. All means. All means. But you have to have big view. Why? Because you know that liberation is true happiness. Yeah? Partial abuse is not. Self 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 uh, immolation of conflicting emotions and wonky views about the universe is not a nice place to be. But for the gray beings, what did um, Wilhelm Reich call, call the mass of humanity about 1941, before the First World War? The little gray men? Yeah, I think it was the little gray men. He was talking about, I think, German society before the war. 
all falling into line. I think that was 1941 he wrote this book. Uh, all about blind members of society just following the political route. Gray, the gray men, the gray men going... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As Namjoon would often say, the gray is the worst. It's the worst place to be is gray. Not up, not down. At least if you're angry. You're angry. Maybe you get angry at the Lama. What right do you have to say that? Oh, good. Now we're getting somewhere. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or... There's kind of three levels, you know. Or... What do you, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean I've, I've got defiled mental states? What do you mean I don't see reality as it is? What do you, what do you mean that society has wonky ideas? What do you mean I'm, I'm, I'm really shaped by society? What do you mean that actually I'm, I'm mainly bacterial? Why, how could you insult me like that? Well, okay, now we've got something to work with. Anger. Ah, energy. And of course you have the ones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you just wait. Mm-hmm. It's like a student once years ago I was teaching an Amidama course and they loved it. They came up one day and said, Oh, this teaching is so good. You're such a good teacher. And I love your te- I love your teaching style. I said, just wait about another week. <laughs> You'll turn. You'll turn, I guarantee it. Why? I could feel the, the, the being was actually an angry being. But this overblown affection, you know, this I I really like, I really you know, so affectionate. I'm going just wait about another week until your psyche goes like this and goes, I hate your guts. <laughs> yeah, was about, I think it was two weeks. I was off by about a week. <laughs> Said something, you know, ah, I hate you. <laughs> Why do you say that? Ah. So does that give you a better feel <laughs> about uh, what loving kindness is? A lot of people do not, they use the word, but they don't realize how vast the meditation is and, and how rich and profound, and, and what the pitfalls are. The pitfalls are many, many, many pitfalls. So, profound, 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 profound. Used, I think, I, as far as I know, it used to be, uh, in, in ancient days, maybe even still today in some parts of the East, go to the teacher, loving kindness, come back in a year. Come, just come back when you... Give me the signs when you come back. The signs are actually listed in the text. One of, the, one of the great signs of loving kindness is you die without any concern, without remorse. Able to die in comfort. Able to die... Oh, actually, the, the technical word is... The phrase is able to die with no bewilderment. The practice of loving kindness means the mind is clear at death and there's no confusion. It's not bewildered. It's not angry that one's dying. Not... You're patient to die. You're... you're Prepared to die. It's important. Any questions? I knew this would be a short class. <laughs> oh my goodness. Any any questions about that? How to practice? Last night I gave you such the earliest form of practice that can be found in the polytexts. As I feel good, so too shall all beings feel good. That's the earliest form. That's how the Buddha first taught loving kindness. You feel good all over, not just in the heart. You didn't talk about the heart at all. 
as as uh, I feel completely happy and well, uh, may all all beings, without exception, feel that way in all the directions. They didn't talk about ten directions. They didn't even talk about cardinal directions. And then all of a sudden, it's four directions. Why? Because people need to practice. So four directions, and then uh, eight directions, the cardinal points, and then the above and below. So that gives you all directions, and that becomes a good way to practice. Then it was demarcations by uh, the being, the organism, and then the room, and then the village, and then the country, the, the county, and so on until you can actually master it by delimited, not fuzzy, delimited areas by which you pervade. Has anybody ever gone to teachings of the Dalai Lama? Yeah? There's a being that can pervade an area, of, uh, for me anyways, about 60 kilometers, 60 cubic kilometers of profound loving kindness. Sometimes I'll go to a teaching and say, why are you here? This is somebody, a stranger. Because I can tell they're not understanding a word. Even they don't even have the earphones on, so they're not hearing anything except Tibetan. Right? I said, why? Just to feel that. Just to feel that. That's why I'm here. Those are beings that have mastered loving kindness to such a degree that people simply want to be within a square kilometer nearby that sensation. Hmm? Now, some beings that master loving-kindness unfortunately can't teach liberation. That's known. So they have perfected loving-kindness, perfected metta, metta in, a, in a grand sense. Beings just want to be near that energy, but actually can't effectively teach liberation. So be careful. Hmm? Because you've perfected a, a godlike state. You're basically a god living on the planet. Beings want to feel that, but you don't necessarily know the karma of beings and how to unfurl the dukkha of a being. That's compassion. So you must practice compassion. But first, loving kindness is the basis for compassion. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can be loving, but it may not unfold a being to liberation. So in the teaching of Dharma, of Buddha Dharma, Loving-kindness, technically, not as sometimes I, as I use it, which is a bit more Christian, but metta, technically, will not liberate beings. Compassion liberates beings. Compassion unified with emptiness liberates beings. Not loving-kindness. Loving-kindness, though, is the support that underlies it all. So if it's not there, forget compassion and forget Meditations on emptiness. That makes sense? Yeah, it's very straightforward. Yes? It seems that uh, the more you refine the view of loving kindness, the more it kind of transcends and includes the other Brahma Viharas. It does. So that goes like this. So the relative bodhicitta and the absolute bodhicitta need to get into play to explain how that view gets refined. Which is tomorrow's class. But you see, now we come to Vajrayana. If it's taught tradi traditionally, which you have to be very careful about that, in the Theravadan tradition, in the tradition of the elders, 
then you practice loving kindness as a meditation to go on to other things. But if you were to practice loving kindness with a teacher, the, now the guru, the lama, that can impart the view and transmit the view, that's a very different thing. Why? Because the loving kindness may be transmitted, as is certainly transmitted by Namdha Rinpoche, as high view, as, as the nature of transcendence, not just as a Brahmavihara. He would teach as a Brahmavihara, but he would manifest it and always open it up to what? Totality. You see? And then it doesn't matter. Why? Because the view, the grand view, as a, as a quality of mind, is now being imparted from human to human. Just when you thought you had the meditation down, it got opened up to the universe, yeah? to the nature of mind. What, what else could loving, what else could meta be, right? But mind. Mind mixing with mind. So you can just raise it right up. But traditionally, no. Traditionally, not the case. By the way, I've just finished teaching loving kindness or metta more according to the tradition of the Theravadan tradition. If I was going to teach it according to the Mahayana tradition, I would normally, or especially as taught by Tibetan teachers, bless their hearts, because I have many, and I, I love them dearly, but they would normally teach it from the point of view as you start by practicing the love of your mother, remembering the love of your mother. I was not really taught that way, although I've learned that way, but I've not taught that way because the Western mind is almost always conflicted about their mother. So, so as a Westerner, we don't normally start with, now remember the overwhelming love that your mother gave you and how she nurtured you and brought you up and so on. This is how it's classically taught in Mahayana literature, Vajrayana literature. Open any text. That's where it starts. And if a Tibetan teacher is teaching, that's how they're going to start. Classically. But not by Namjoon Rinpoche. And not actually within the Theravadan tradition. Because this is a cultural, this is cultural, in that today, last maybe I don't know 30, 40, 50 years, there's too much conflict around immediate family members to start there. For most people, so you don't. Better that you start, and and by the way, classically in the Theravadan tradition, very often the instruction is, the feeling of love that you have for your a spiritual mentor is what you feel in your being towards other beings. And even that is problematic for Westerners because it's conflicted. A lot, of, a lot of Westerners, you know, I was asked on this last India trip, how come I don't teach guru yoga and devotion? Because the, the lamas that we were seeing would almost always give a short teaching. When I asked them, would you please just give a short teaching to students? always guru devotion and devotion towards the, the Lama, you know. And they're saying, how come you don't teach that way? But I act that way. Hmm? Because Westerners really, a lot of them cannot handle that. It gets sloppy, weird, or rejected. I was so happy they were, they were giving these beautiful teachings on this. But for a Westerner, 
uh, highly conflicted emotions around authority figures. Over-idealized, I love them. They can do no wrong, I love them. They're perfect. They are God-like entities of utter perfection, right? Until they pick their nose. Until they pick their nose. (laughs) Or scratch their ear, or something like that, or say something that's inappropriate. Or, I don't believe them. I don't think anybody can really be so good or so free. No way. So, for the Western mind, very conflicted, very skeptical about the authority figure, especially the spiritual authority figure that does not match up to the idealized Christ as taught in the New Bible, in the New Testament, as written. When was the new? When was it really written? Thirteenth century, thirteenth, fourteenth century, or no later, later. Okay? Anyways, rewritten, rewritten, rewritten. No, nothing like the original uh, New or Old Testament, correct? So, for Westerner, they have an idealized Christ figure that you're never going to match up to. No one ever will. Because they're not human. Right? Not human. Or some idealized idea of Guru Rinpoche back in the 8th century. Right? That would scare the pants off anybody. But, you know. Did you see something? So why do I teach metta meditation this way? Because in the Mahayana way, I feel it's not the easiest for Westerners to go that route. But later when you develop and you expand it to your mentor, your friends, or your enemy, and so on, you can then come to your family and through the practice, great equanimity of love develops for your mother and your father and so on, if there's conflicted stuff there. I happen to absolutely love my mother. My father's passed away, but absolutely love my mother. I enjoy spending time. I don't have a... nothing. I don't know where that came from, but... absolutely. And my father, it's great. But for many, it's, it's, it's very difficult territory. Very difficult territory. So I wouldn't start there. They become the enemy. You know, like that's where you, you know, it says in the text, now you meditate, generate loving kindness for your enemies. <laughs> Put it in the Western, your mother and father and your brothers and sisters, you know, this ring around you. That's okay, it's cultural. And you see, you see different traditions of Buddhist uh, training and meditation teaching differently at different eras. Why? Because the culture changes and the views change and so on, and get different, different qualities. Some, some Tibetan teachers who talk to me cannot understand some of the reasons why. You know, some of the Western stuff, they just don't get it because they're not from that culture. Why? Why do they like this? How come they don't get that? Okay. Any questions about practice? What would be the Vajrayana teaching of loving kindness? Oh, it's taught from the Mahayana view. It's, yeah. So all, all the texts of Vajrayana, texts of... of Foundation practices, even as it's, it's it's that it's that way. Start with your mother, mm-hmm. the love, the profound love, the nurturing of your mother, and all beings throughout time and space have been your mothers through rebirth. Now, for a Westerner, I go, great. Can you do that? Can you honestly feel that every creature and human being that you meet has been your mother 
and has nurtured you in past lives. Some of you maybe, but you're not brought up that way. So that would be also standard Mahayana teaching. I'm not, I'm not being negative about it at all. My concern is the Western being has not been brought up in a world of reincarnation as a reality and how that would even be possible. I actually would like to teach that way because that is reality. And don't even have to talk about rebirth. All beings that exist right now are your mothers. That's biological fact. So I'll teach that. When I start teaching about nature of emptiness and your connectedness, yes, then I teach from that perspective. That's profound love. Why? Because they're absolutely correct. Every being that's gone before, every being now is nurturing you. That's fact. That's scientific fact. Maybe a little far out for most scientists, but actually it's even getting mainstream. But the ability to use that for loving kindness at the, at the beginning, if you don't come from a culture of rebirth or understand it, that, that can be, be difficult. So I prefer to use the classic Tarawadan um, method, uh, means or meditations of loving kindness, because I find they're more effective for Westerners. Would that also be the, like the devotion to the deity? Like when you're manifesting that you now that becomes, that becomes Vajrayana where the, the assumption is that you, there is enough loving-kindness there for that uh, unity, mixing with the Adam, which is the guru, mind, to happen without interference. But for a lot of Westerners, when they go and they practice deity yoga or Adam yoga too early, or guru yoga, then they can't mix. Why can't they mix? Because they have conflicted emotions with, with what they're mixing with. Whereas a being in the East, not all beings, it's changing now, would traditionally, no problem at all. No, no problem. No problem at all. They want to. They want to. Any others? I can see some sleepiness happening. I can see some tiredness, some wilting. Okay, so see you tomorrow morning for uh, another mixing where we solvent together. And uh, thank you. That was, I, I uh, enjoyed sharing that with you. It's been a while since I've given that, that teaching. We also need to tomorrow talk about, um, I'd like, and Jamie's reminded me of this because I don't, sometimes I go for a while and don't teach it. I assume that you actually all have good foundation in the Four Noble Truths, uh, especially the first one, two, and three is really important to go over. So, um, again, what is it that causes suffering and, and how profoundly deep it is, we need to return to that because then we can't really discuss the nature of emptiness until we do, the nature of compassion. Okay? By this powerful activity, and the, and the word for powerful activity is punya in Pali, is punyakama, which, which means activity that has power has merit. So by this meritorious activity, this powerful activity that we do together, which sets the mind in the right stream towards liberation, may it lead to the cessation of the cancers. Now, I usually say the suffering, but the actual technical word is asawa, which means 
the emotional floods, like literally, you know, Panachal River coming through. I don't know what it's called, the Panachal River. I don't, yeah, that flood in beings it overwhelms beings. Some beings daily, some beings every hour, some beings every minute, some beings every month, right? But can overwhelm beings with poison. It's also translated, uh, because that's its root, as a cancer, a malignant cancer. So really, technically, is may, may by this powerful activity, may all beings be free of malignancy, malignant poison. That's literally what it means. So it's a powerful prayer. And it's considered to be the oldest prayer, contemplation, prayer, way of ending a discourse, way of ending meditation in the Buddhist tradition period. It's the oldest. Yidante punyakamang asawaki wahanghotu is the oldest. Interesting, supposedly. Yidante punyakamang asawaki wahanghotu. Yidante punyakamang asawaki wahanghotu. Yidante punyakamang asawaki wahanghotu. May all beings be well and happy. That's metta. And I like to add, because it's Vajrayana, uh, may all beings be established in a continuum, which is Tantra, continuum of freedom, of the nature of mind, the perfect union of wisdom and compassion, Vajradhara, the, the primordial state of complete realization. Good aspirations to have.